It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. There's really a great desecration going on. Anything that's good anything that's holy, anything that's truthful, anything that's sound, anything that underpins all of culture and society is being attacked. That can be a church or a synagogue. That can be a country. That can be the very idea that there's truth that holds all of this all together, holds all of us all together. All of that is being attacked and attacked at the same time. So it's not just a political term of the left trying to cancel someone they disagree with. Now they're not trying to cancel people who are opposed to them on the right. The left is just trying to cancel anyone that has views that build culture, build society, keep it all going. That's what the great desecration is. There's a war on truth. And you can't speak the truth at certain times if they deem it politically incorrect. This is what the desecrators intend to do. It starts at one part of society and within short order can spread to almost all the important things in society and always with the desecrators. You know what the goal always is. Weaken the church, weaken our faith structures, weaken our democracy, and infect our elections. Because... With political power, they can do anything they want. Sandy Rios with you. That was the familiar voice, if you listen to this show, of Matt Schlapp. Matt is the president of the American Conservative Union. He is the chairman of CPAC, which you hear me broadcast from every year. He's an author, a television pundit, and he's the husband of five girls and the the husband the husband of the father of five beautiful girls and the husband of the beautiful Mercedes Schlapp. And he's just written a book called The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. And he joins us this morning. Good morning, Matt Schlapp. Great to be with you again, Sandy. It's great to have you with me, uh, Matt. And let me just say that you co-authored this with Deal Hudson. Deal is the yeah. host of Church and Culture on the Ave Maria Radio Network, and he's the also the former editor of Crisis Magazine and the former head of Catholic Outreach for the presidential campaigns of George W. Bush, and a whole lot more. And a kind of a, a, certainly a well-known icon in Washington, D.C. So, uh, Matt, I, you've been doing a book tour on this. So how, how's that going? Yeah. Are you guys out? Are you somewhere now doing this book tour? No, I got, I got to come home, but I did just uh, I did three events out in Kansas, out in Wichita, my hometown. So I got to see Mom and my brothers and sisters, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just traveling around the country as you have done. Uh, to me, yes, I'm selling the book, the desecrators, uh, but I'm also trying to tell this story of what's going on in the country. You know, um, I, I believe that we're at a very, very dangerous moment and we've all got to get engaged. 
Well, of course, you know I do too. And uh, that's something that we pound about every day, just about, just about every day, I'd say. We're talking about this to people in our sphere of influence and trying to wake up the country. I think the good news is, like the the attendees at CPAC, I mean, this year, Matt, I just thought it was, uh, it was exciting. In the face of all of these obstacles, people are still optimistic and willing to just roll up their sleeves and fight to save the country. Did you feel that way? Yeah, you know, putting on CPAC, I don't want to, you know, complain, but, you know, it's it's quite an arduous task. And then when you actually show up, and as you know, my daughter staffs me and my, my oldest daughter and my second daughter staffs Mercy, and we throw ourselves into this thing. And uh, it's, it's a grassroots uh, revolt that's going on in the country. And I told one of our mutual friends that, uh, you know, I feel like people have finally woken up to how serious this is, how our institutions are being undermined and taken over. And I feel optimistic, and I'm not a, um, I'm not just like a sunny optimist all the time. I think I'm more of a realist. But I feel very optimistic that people, you know, people of wealth, people of no wealth, people of prestige and power, people with no prestige and power, they're all getting, they're, they want to fall in love with their country again. They want to fight for this country. And they know that, that this country is only strong if we have uh, a strong commitment to our faith. And we have strong families. Without that, we're doomed. Matt, let's take a sidebar for a second because uh, pe- people, my listeners have been writing me because they're hearing uh, lots of stuff. And let me just point yep. out that uh, when we, I think it was the CPAC Florida last year, I think it was last year, that suddenly this news report came out that CPAC was using, like, on their stage, a, a satanic symbol. Wasn't that last year? It was and, a Nazi symbol. Oh, not so symbol. Then, <laughs> it was a Nazi. They said our stage was, was meant to do a private communication to white nationalists with a Nazi symbol. Oh, then that's right. The year before that, they accused us of starting coronavirus and basically uh, infecting the world and by starting yes. with infecting the president. And then Borat came to CPAC and uh, they tried to destroy the uh, event by staging um, some weird kind of bloody protests. I mean, it just goes on and on and on what they try to do, what the left tries to do to undermine this event because they know how effective it is. And they don't have one like it on the left. Um, and they keep thinking that it's going to fall apart. And uh, instead it gets bigger and more effective. But along with that comes, unfortunately, a lot of mischaracteriz- mischaracterizing, which I have to deal with. And I hope to be able to deal with it with everyone of goodwill like yourself so people can know what's really going on. Yeah, so let's talk about it, because the first uh, piece that I saw was in uh, the Daily Mail, and I'll just read the headlines here. No sane person should promote this insanity. Conservatives blast fellow Republican Matt Schlapp after the CPAC organizer suggested transgender swimmer Leah Thomas deserves our compassion. And then the next headline that, uh, well, these are just two of the articles. This is in the National Pulse. Revealed, Matt Schlapp's CPAC took six-figure social action donation from Soros-linked Dark Money Network. And then I read a pro-lifer's Twitter feed where she accused uh, CPAC of losing their interest in the abortion issue uh, and, you know, that everything had changed and people need to be aware that CPAC's no longer, you know, that's not important to them anymore because there wasn't a specific pro-life Panel. So those are the three accusations, Matt. And because I know you, um, 
uh, I believe I believe you. I know you and Mercedes, and I know your heart. And we've had too many discussions for this stuff to be true, but they have to be defended. And yeah, so, of and- so let's go first. Let's go one at a time. Yeah, on the Leah sure. Thomas on the Leah Thomas issue, you tweeted, um, "Have oh wait wait wait. No matter what one thinks of Leah's ability to swim, Leah, by the way, is the male swimmer." transitioning transition to female who's beating all the women in the competitions no matter what one thinks of leah's ability to swim with women her story deserves our compassion it will be interesting to hear leah's point of view in 30 years and then you got tremendous blowback especially from a lot of conservatives okay so let's talk about that one first are you supporting transgender swimmers and no 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 of course not and and i did put out a statement clarifying the tweet. Remember, ACU is the group that scores all the votes in all the state legislative chambers and at the national level. And we are the group, we're the only group in the country that scores everyone on everything. Economic issues, cultural issues, uh, foreign policy issues. So we score against the ability of the destruction of girls in women's sports. I have five daughters who are involved in sports. I can't even imagine them not getting a medal. Uh, because a male wanted to compete against them. I think it's disgraceful. Just so you know, to make it even deeper, my mother was a tennis pro, um, taught me how to play tennis. She's my hero. And uh, you know, Your mom's wonderful. I, could, I, should, I have to interject that your mother is wonderful. I've had the privilege of meeting her. She's, she's, I can understand where you get your strength, Matt. But go ahead, please. It was she, but she was a trailblazer because she was like the only female a tennis instructor. And, you know, I saw up close what that's like when a woman or somebody is a trailblazer. And the idea that they're, that the left has embraced this idea of gender confusion at the, to the detriment of women is disgraceful. And I think, I think righteous outrage over what's happening in women's sports, um, I certainly didn't mean to imply that that's not justified. It's completely justified. And we, we're in that fight every day. I also read this New York Post story and heard the father, Leah's father, talking about how he wants a relationship with his child, really hit me. Um, you know, I don't know his politics. I don't know his faith. I don't know anything about him. But what you realize is is this whole transgender issue, um, it touches my heart because I think these people are very broken. I, I don't condone the decisions that they're making to try to deal with their issues at all. But I do know large percentages of them, much larger than the population, commit suicide. Um, they feel despair. And a large percentage of them um, turn to drugs and alcohol and also want to go back when they realize this was a bit of a fantasy they were on. And, you know, there aren't 62 genders. There are, there, there are two genders, and you can't change your gender. And, you know, these are just immutable facts. And uh, all I was trying to say in the midst of all of this chaos that's unfortunately being inflicted on our kids, which is the other piece of this, which is the fact that they've jammed this into the curriculum in so many schools, not just public schools, also some private schools, also some Christian schools. Um, the, uh, the, 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 that, that also creates great human misery. And it, from what it was touched to my heart is the fact that we have to be there for people who are caught up in this and help them. It's, it's as simple as that. And uh, I do think that sometimes I tweet things and say things that deserve more clarification, and I'm always happy to do that. And um, I also have to be who I am, and I have to speak my heart, and that's what was on my heart when I read the article, which is I felt bad for the dad. I felt bad for the family. I felt bad um, for the people that are 
struggling with this. I don't think it's a made-up thing that they're struggling with. I think it's a real thing, and I think it's 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 a sad, tragic aspect of life that, unfortunately, instead of helping people, we're hurting them, telling them all the wrong things. And uh, and one of the worst tr- parts of the tragedy is young women and young girls and kids in school at tender ages who are being sexualized, uh, who are having their lives destroyed because uh, because of quote unquote acceptance of this idea that you can change your gender. You know, a, a biological male cannot change his gender to be a woman. And should never be allowed to disrupt women's sports. You know, I think um, the thing that really shocked me about the response to that tweet of yours, Matt, was response from other friends of ours who are um, strong on the on the moral issues, and I I'm grateful for that. But why they would think that your expression of compassion for Leah would be would mean that you in, embrace transgender? This the lack of understanding, and so see. A person like Leah Thompson's getting it for both sides. She's getting a lies. He's getting lies from the left, which are destroying his life, and then he's getting hatred, really, from the some on the right who don't understand uh, what the compassion you just expressed. I'm there with you completely. I think uh, one of the other issues that people had was the the pronoun issue, and I just yeah. want to read. I just want to play something. This is a TikTok clip. It's clip seven. We'll, we'll probably explain uh, the choice of pronouns here. Clip seven, let's listen. If you're non-binary and you know it, clap your hands. If you're non-binary but you're actually gender fluid but you don't want to explain to people that your pronouns change regularly because your gender is that freaking fluid and you don't really care either way what pe- pronouns people use except for certain days where you feel super mask or super femme or super androgynous. Um... But you also don't want to bother people with having them try to remember what pronouns you are for certain days. And even you don't really know most of the days. So you just sit there like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. Whatever you want to reference me as. Clap your hands. Yeah, so the reason I play that, we have to take a break here, is just that they criticized you for the use of the pronoun. I just slipped into the same thing. Because I think that, personally, Leah should be addressed as a male because of the confusion of it. But it's easy it's easy not to know what pronoun to use, and on the basis of that, it's just ridiculous to leap to the confu- conclusion that someone like you, Matt, is embracing the whole notion of transgenderism because of a pronoun and because of expressing compassion. So that's that's area one. We have a couple more to cover when we get back. The book is called The Desecrators. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I think that is what the desecrators want us to think. They want us to think you should whisper, you should stay silent, because you're not allowed to speak up, because if you do, you will lose your job, you'll be kicked out of the store, you won't have your place in society. What you realize with these culture wars and this desecration, this strategy to destroy what's good and holy and truthful in society through this great desecration is... There can never be a truce. You never get to declare a tie and say, neither one of us is going to win on this one. They want you to be quiet. I say, stop being quiet. Speak up and don't go along with this anymore. And if you are having trouble in your own life dealing with this, think about your kids and grandkids. Think about the kids down the street. If you don't stand up, who will? All right, Sandy Rios back with you. And that, again, is the voice of Matt Schlapp, who is our guest this morning. His new book is called The Desecrators. 
Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God, uh, with the co-author Deal Hudson. And um, we were just talking about, I would just say this from my personal experience, Matt has become a power at a force in Washington. He and Mercedes did the unpardonable thing of supporting President Trump. Uh, and in D.C. circles, that's anathema to some people. And so there was a lot of problems relationally with other people because of that. So they've taken some very uh, strong stands on the moral issues. Matt and Mercedes both talk about their faith, which is, uh, you know, I can remember CPAC of old didn't do that. And so Matt has been become a force to be reckoned with, and I think it is because of his own character and his love of God. Uh, and be, that means his position on the issues is actually pretty hard and sharp, and that doesn't play well in a, in a place like D.C., but Matt, when you talk about the desecrators, before we go back to the controversy swirling you personally right now in CPAC, I'd like to go to this because you just talked in that clip about the silencing. And one of your chapters here is why Trump supporters whispered. And I just talk about that for a second because that will make uh, most of the people listening to this show will understand that, what you're talking about. But what are you talking about? Well, that, your listeners can understand, which is why I don't, care if someone's offended at a tweet or something I say if it's taken out of context because I'm just tired of being quiet, Sandy. I'm tired of being so careful. I'm tired of being so silenced because what we learned with Trump was that um, if you were for him, first of all, it started with conservatives being all mad at you and trying to get you. Remember the phony conservatives like Jonah Goldberg and Stephen oh, Hayes? Yes. Like they all, oh, yes. they all came after us and said, how dare you? You're not really a conservative. You're more of a populist, blah, blah, blah. So that started that way. And then, of course, Donald Trump kind of got everyone thinking differently about China and about immigration and the border and Mexicans. And, you know, so you had all that, all the racism charges that came. And I remember being on TV for the first time and uh, they were calling Steve Bannon a racist. And I was like, well, how can you call someone you don't even know a racist like that? And I realized like that was going to be the theme for five years of my life, which is I'm a racist. I'm being called a racist. My wife's being called a racist. My she's a She's a Hispanic American, but my God, she's even a racist. Like, we're all racist. Um, and you realize, like, that was just a way to get us to shut up. And that's what they've done to conservatives now for a very long period of time, which is if the left calls you something like a racist, it destroys your career, it destroys your life. So anytime you're getting close to getting uncomfortable around those topics, you have to shut up or you get canceled. And I realized that, and I thought, you know, I got a choice to make. I either play the game. And just learn to press mute when it's an uncomfortable topic, like a virus, like a vaccine, like Black Lives Matter, violence, killing cops. Just press mute and don't comment on those things because it's too red hot or comment twice as much and just say you're not going to follow those rules. And that's what my wife and I decided to do. We decided to just keep commenting. Now, she's mad at me half the time for the things I say, by the way. She's the first person to say, what's thinking? <laughs> but part of that is me being unbridled this idea yeah. that I'm going to express my views and I'm going to lose friends and business opportunities and everything else. And I just, once again, I can't change that. That's what's been put on my heart to do. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to be stupid. I'm not trying to just like, get clicks. But if I think something needs to be said, and I think it's the right thing for me to do, it's what I'm being called to do, I'm going to do it. And by the way, I've got more leeway to do it than a lot of people do. A lot of people will lose their jobs. A lot of people will lose their position. And I've already lost most of that, so I'm just going to go for it. And I think that's how my wife feels, too. And, and we got to get other people to understand that. You know, we're the biggest subset in the country. 
but we act like we're the smallest. If we keep yes. doing that, we're going to lose it all. You know, and just to kind of affirm the value of that and the results of that, I was just this morning uh, talking about the whole election scenario. You know, uh, John Solomon just wrote a piece about the 20, 20 election scenarios, 20, that proved that there was fraud. And I've been, you know, I talk about this a lot, Matt. And, of course, the, the media and the people prosecuting people on January 6th and going after Jenny and Clarence Thomas, uh, it all boils down to January 6th, uh, and that is tied into the big lie of the election. That's what they That's say. Right. It's the big lie. But here's the thing. 40% in a poll, 40% of American people, and that's across party lines, believe that the 2020 election, there's something wrong with it. Uh, and right. uh, Yeah, and was. so it's the truth speaking. It's truth speakers like you that's right. and Mercedes and probably me also and other – President Trump, for heaven's sake, was a great example of just saying what was true. Uh, that has – truth just resonates with people, and so it has a power of its own, you know? Well, you know, I was called to participate after the election, and I went out to Nevada, and I couldn't believe what I found. I found so much fraud that I believe that Donald Trump won Nevada. No one ever talks about Nevada, by the way. That's just another state. Um, why did we have so much fraud? Well, you know, it was a combination of panic over the virus, which was somewhat intentional because they wanted to beat Trump. Uh, they wanted to hang this virus around his neck. It was a serious medical problem, but as we all know now, they told so many lies about it along the way as well. And uh, it was used as a political weapon. And so we voted by mail and uh, in, in double the numbers we normally did. And we didn't check signatures. We didn't verify voters. We had these boxes paid for with Zuckerbuck. And, uh, and I believe that in the states that I have knowledge of, Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, definitely Nevada, um, at the very least, the outcome is highly questionable. I believe that there's enough there to show that Trump won the states. But, you know, we'll never know the real answers because uh, it was all covered up. It was all rushed through. And now we have all these people being tortured and persecuted for one six and that's another thing acu's doing we're raising money for these political victims who are associated uh, who are being prosecuted by essentially prosecuted for supporting donald trump by liz cheney and that terrible committee and we're raising money to help defend these people's rights uh, this is the this is a critical moment this is where i say we're at a very dangerous time when your political views can be used to destroy your entire life but you might even be kept in prison without a charge or a lawyer. This is what's going on in the country. So, Matt, the point I think is important that I make this because it's illustrated by that first attack against you when you tweeted about Leah Thomas and having compassion. And then people, our, our, our soulmates in the movement, reacted in such a, a weird way, accusing you then of supporting Leah Thomas for his transgenderism, his swimming in women's sports, and that's not at all what you were saying. It's so off the mark. And in the same way, so my point is going to be that the, the canceling uh, comes come from both sides, and that's what we have to yeah, stop. It comes, because we, It comes from both sides, and the left doesn't do this, by the way. The left, by and large, they keep their different disagreements out of the news media, and you know, I even sometimes will have board members that will leak to the media. Like, we, we've learned this game of we, we get, you know, relevance by helping left-wing reporters attack people in yes. our movement. I think it's a big yeah. mistake. And 
I, I'm a victim of it every year around CPAC. I usually try to blow it off. Um, this year was really discouraging to be told that you're not pro-life. When, when I was arrested in an abortion clinic when I was a student, um, my mom taught me to value life. Um, there's not an issue I care more about than the, the desecration of the unborn child. I talked about it on the stage at CPAC uh, with uh, Jim Jordan. I talked about it. Uh, I talk about it all the time. I tweet about it all the time. And then for people to question my commitment to that issue and then to be charged with taking Someone said I'm taking under table the payments from George Soros and, you know, that um, that I've, you know, my lifestyle has been enhanced by, you know, working with him was so insulting. It's so insulting. I mean, I sent the head of the NCAA a letter when this transgenderism thing first really became so such a controversy. We sent him a letter from CPAC immediately, and I told him he needs to stand up for women's sports. And that letter is a public record. And uh, and my support of the pro-life movement is a public record. We hate George Soros so much, we're going to do a CPAC Hungry. We're not doing a CPAC Hungry because we're getting money from George Soros. We're doing a CPAC Hungry because we know we're going right into his neighborhood to make the... There's two countries he's trying to destroy the most. One is Hungary, one is America. We're taking him on right to his face, right to his family. Um, it's, it's the opposite of what they charge yes. me of being. And look, I just got to turn the other cheek and move forward and... I think this just delays the good work we have to do, and I'm just going to keep doing the good work. I've been a little down after reading about these things and people who I thought were my friends, you know, feeding into it. And I, you know, Sandy, I'm just not going to let I'm not going to let the turkeys get me down. I'm going to double down today. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to I have a lot of fundraising calls for these people who are caught up in the one six commission. I'm going to make those calls. If people want to then mischaracterize the contributions, I just don't care. I have to stay focused, and that's what we all have to do. We have to refound this country. This is like a 1776 moment for all of us. And if people are going to try to put obstacles in my way, I'm not the fastest guy, uh, but I'm going to jump over those obstacles. I'm going to get around them. You know, Matt, I guess, um, well, you know, I'm pl applauding. In my mind, I'm applauding. You just can't hear me. But I, that's what you do best. You do confront things. You just face them head on. And I'm, I think that's what you have to do. But I would say... The one good thing, in spite of the, the hurt for you and the aggravation of trying to face these accusations, especially from people that are we thought were friends, um, is that it gives a chance to teach. And I want to take this moment on the pro-life movement to say something that I think is happening. This, is, this will be controversial, um, but, you know, what else is new? Uh, I, I am afraid that the pro-life movement as such, the the industry of it, the various branches of it, all of which are friends of mine and people I've worked with, and I'm I'm part of that. I've been in the pro-life movement myself for years. But it has developed into something that is so focused on the abortion area of the sanctity of human life uh, that I think they've lost their, their um, measure of proportion. And the reason I say that... Because there are so many issues in our world right now that are really at their core, uh, the, the lack of value for human life, whether it's policemen being targeted for murder, the riots in the street, the, the suicide of the guy that's been in jail on, on unfounded charges from January 6th, the beating of those people, the inhumane treatment, um, the uh, what's going on in the war? I mean, every the sanctity of human life is so much broader than the abortion issue. But that doesn't minimize the abortion issue. It's just I want to break my friends out of that 
There is yeah, Sandy. the sanctity. Yeah. So you didn't have a specific. I agree. Go ahead. I agree <laughs> with you. And what and what the whole idea of a pro life panel was a little bit of a stop to the pro life community. And a four day conference will do a panel. That's what previous leadership at CPAC said. And I said, no, we're going to talk about abortion and valuing human dignity and life every day at CPAC, all throughout the conference. And that's what we do. And we talked about, you know, the effect of uh, pornography on society. We talked about human trafficking. We talked about, and I agree with you, it's because we're in such a dire situation that, you know, we didn't have a panel on capital gains tax cuts, and we didn't have a panel on, um, you know, Obamacare. Um, You know, we didn't do all the things that we would normally do when conservatives come together. Because now it's like, if you're a cop, are you evil? Um, if you, you're a parent, you're a domestic terrorist? I mean, they've made these, the, the, what's going on in our society is now so foundational that uh, it's even this question about whether America is good. And so um, what I think everybody who's used to certain things happening when conservatives come together have to understand that, like, it's so foundational now. So a lot of the, a lot of our agenda was taken up with just highlighting these grassroots activists like parents, like cops, like teachers, like coaches, who are being destroyed for having Christian views or just destroyed for having pro-America views. And that's something we've never faced in this country before. It's why I wrote the book. We've got to get out of our own way. We've got to understand that we might have viewed things a certain way for most of our life, but it is so critically bad, this position we're in now, it's worse than we think, that we have to re-examine what we're doing. And it doesn't mean that if you're an activist in the pro-life community that you should change what you're doing. My God, you need to double down on that as well. But you have to also understand that we're literally talking about not just the survival of the unborn child, but the very survival of the Constitution in America in a sense that unborn child who's being violated is being partnered now with all of us who are being violated. If you're a Trump supporter, if you wear a MAGA hat, You're being denied your rights, much like that unborn child. Not as serious, but it's along the continuum. And I think we all have to understand exactly what you just said, Sandy, which is it is as dire as we think it is. Yep, it is. I think about the whole COVID uh, fiasco and how many lives were lost unnecessarily. People killed, really, by treatment in hospitals. So that's a pro-life issue, too. It's still happening. It's still happening. And we had all those doctors there, all those great doctors there, on talking about all yeah. those issues about the virus and the vaccines because we're so crowded with trauma. Yes, exactly. And so it's uh, that so that needed to be st- sorted out, and I think you've sorted it out very well. Now, let's come back and talk more about the book. It's called The Desecrators, oh. Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. And you can imagine that Matt has some great things to say about a lot of things. And so we're going to continue and try to get some of that in before we have to say goodbye. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I am the direct descendant of the North American slave trade. Both my parents are black, all four of my grandparents are black, all eight of my great-great-grandparents, all 16 of my great-greats. On my mother's side, my ancestors were enslaved in Alabama. On my father's side, we were enslaved in Texas. I am not oppressed. I'm not oppressed, and I'm not a victim. 
I'm neither a press nor a victim. I travel all across this country of ours. And I check into hotels, and I fly commercially, and I walk into retail establishments, and I order food in restaurants. I go wherever I want, whenever I want. I am treated with kindness, dignity, and respect, literally from coast to coast. I have three children. They are not oppressed either, although they are victims. I've taught my children they are victims of three things. Their own ignorance, their own laziness, and their own poor decision-making. That is all. My children, we are not victims of America. We are not victims of some unseen 190-year-old force that kind of floats around in the ether. Putting critical race theory into our classrooms is taking our nation in the wrong direction. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. And sadly, sadly, very sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. I can think of nothing more damaging to a society than to tell a baby born today that she has grievances against another baby born today simply because of what their ancestors may have done two centuries ago. There is simply no point in doing that to our children. All right, I'm going to interrupt you because, listen, don't you want to listen? Isn't that great? That's Derek Wilburn Black. Uh, He's a father speaking uh, at a school board meeting. Uh, I don't remember whether it was Colorado or someplace like that. Uh, But he's a father who cares very much about his three children. And that reminds me of Matt, uh, five, five, four, four beautiful daughters, right? Matt, did I lose a daughter? I have five. You got five, okay. I got a college daughter. That's what you're thinking. Okay. All right. Well, five beautiful daughters, and you care very much about your children. Very loving family you have with Mercedes. And at the beginning of your book, you start with a letter to your children. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I do get a little emotional about this, Andy, but, you know, I think um, I'm not sure they're going to have America. And uh, it scares me because when we did CPACs all over the world, including in Hong Kong, we've been to Korea and Japan and Brazil and Australia and other places doing these CPAC conferences. And um, what I learned when I went overseas is that everyone's counting on America. If they don't have freedom in America, they don't believe they'll have freedom in their own country, even if they're in a socialist country, but they're trying to push back on socialism. And uh, and when I think when I look into the, the eyes of my children and when I see what they're exposed to in media and what I see what uh, what's going on in society, I, I get very, very worried. And I, I tell them in the book that the reason why your mother's on an execution list or on a do-not-hire list and the reason why your father gets called a racist, it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we're intolerant people. We're the opposite. It's because we're being maligned because we're trying to fight really hard for the country. And please just understand, when you see a headline that the kids in school make fun of you for or some kind of tweet or some something that's on Facebook or whatever, understand what our intent is. And our intent is, is that we want you to grow up in this country that we got to grow up in. And when the country I grew up in, we had problems. And yes, racism has always been part of the American story, but there was more important part, part of the story, which is good people coming from lots of different backgrounds to come together because they believed in human dignity and making a difference. And we lost that somewhere along the line. It's very much imperiled, and it's mostly imperiled because too many people are fearful to stand up and find their voice. 
Matt, speak just for a second. Um, your outspokenness and Mercedes' position on issues and working for the Trump administration as she did and also then the campaign has caused some trouble for your kids. Did you not address that also? Yeah, it's caused trouble for our kids, and um, it's caused us, you know, kind of a professional nightmare. Um, and, you know, what you realize in our society is, is that when you are out of bounds, um, they really do, they can destroy your ability to do anything. And, uh, you know, I took to Twitter and accused Black Lives Matter of actually not being about fighting racism, but about fighting America and uh, religious persecution against Christian and Jews. And when I did that, I had some corporate relationships, and they were all ended. Almost all of them were ended, because I was tarred with this idea that I was racially intolerant. I, got, I remember I got a call from one of these corporate uh, people, and they said, we're firing you because we believe in racial tolerance. And I was like, well, my tweets were about why are you burning down Catholic churches, destroying statues of Jesus? Uh, you know, how, how can you contribute to Black Lives Matter, which doesn't believe in the family or profit or the Constitution? We know how radical they are. And, uh, and you know, I was making the argument at a time when it was politically correct. Today I could do, send those same tweets and nothing would have happened to me. I could have been quiet. If I had been quiet, Black Lives Matter would have had that much more effect on society in an evil way. And, and, and those are the lessons. When you speak up, you get canceled and your kids get uh, persecuted uh, in school or wherever they are. I mean, the consequences are high, but we are so close to losing it all. And uh, and I think November is going to woke is going to be on trial. I think we the American people have woken up, as we said at CPAC, they're awake, not woke. And I think they're going to come out in droves. Even a lot of non-Republicans are going to come out in droves and say, "No, you're not racist if you love America." And for that reason, I'm kicking these socialists out of office. And I think it's going to be the beginning of the pushback to save this country. Matt, I have I have I've never asked you this, um, really. Uh, one of the things that I think makes you have such impact, Mercedes also, and I alluded to this earlier, but I didn't ask the question, and that is you are very vocal about your personal faith. I'm not talking about evangelizing in an overt way. I'm talking about expressing your faith in God uh, openly, uh, without shame, in a position that you hold, which is unusual in D.C. Now, it certainly was when I was president of CWA even then. I mean, we were the mavericks, because even in public meetings, even in Christian meetings, we didn't really open in prayer. I mean, I don't know what happened. We thought we were in a secular world and we couldn't do that, but that's not you. And so my question is this. Can you just tell us something about your own faith? Can you just tell me, as your friend and my thousands of people that are listening, about your personal faith. What's the, what's the story about that? You know, um, I grew up in a family where my mom is my hero and my father was, uh, uh, you know, the less admirable part of the story. He was an alcoholic, and he treated me roughly, treated my mom roughly. And that's hard to say publicly, because, you know, maybe my brothers and sisters will each have our own kind of view of things. But it was a rough childhood, and... Uh, we, you know, we lost our money. Uh, there was a lot of embarrassment. And, you know, I, I watched my mom, who was a tennis pro, making very little money, just kind of make it work and make it work. And she'd always make it work. And I remember I got into the University of Notre Dame, and uh, I went the first year mostly on academic scholarship. 
And uh, my dad died, and I couldn't go back because I couldn't pay the tuition bill. And I had an old 65 rusted Mustang, dark blue. <laughs> Loved that car, but it was terrible. Terrible in the snow. And I said to my mom, I don't think I can go back. We can't pay this bill. She goes, no, I can't pay this bill. I, I, There's no money. She said, but, you know, I'm told that um, Notre Dame is, uh, is, is, they've got faithful people there. She goes, so you're going to get that Mustang, and you're going to pack it up, and you're going to go up there, and you're going to see if they will take some pity on you. And they did. They, the priest sat with me, and he said, you know what? We're going to take care of you. And he found the money. And there was this great nun uh, who taught me in high school, and she did a bunch of fundraising on the phone. So I always love fundraisers ever since then. <laughs> and uh, they made it all work. And I somehow got through with, you know, strings and gum and, you know, just barely duct tape. And um, and so to me, that wasn't an accident. There was a reason I was supposed to be in a faith-filled institution. By the way, the institution isn't perfect. Um, it's an academic institution and makes a lot of academic liberal mistakes. But in the end, there were people of faith there who cared. Life's complicated. It's never easy. It's more complicated than that. And then my whole life, I've always just felt like God has been there to pick me up, to take me over that obstacle and put me on this course. I think I'm doing what he wants me to do. And so um, I'm just going to keep doing it. And uh, the extent to which he's walking with me is the only way it's possible. Love it, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It explains a lot about you. And um, anyway, I okay. So now the book is called The Desecrators. And let's uh, let me just share with people. <laughs> you've got some great endorsements here. Dr. Alveda King, of course, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, President Donald Trump has high praise. Mark Levin, and you have others. I think you have a lot of other endorsements that I don't have on this sheet. But you've got some great endorsements for this book. If um, what is it that you know, your personal goal in writing this, what would you say it is? If if it would be, well, succeed, what would it look like? Well, part of it was just therapy for me. You know, Deal came up and saw me with the publisher of Tan Books, and Tan Books was a great outfit. And they said, we've read about your story. You've got to tell it. And I said, I don't, I, I don't have the time to write a book. But they convinced me, and Deal said he would help me because he's written so many books, and we did it. And um, in writing it, it was very cathartic. And now it's, I don't even know if there's real profit when we sell a book, I just feel like we've got to get it in people's hands. They have to understand, like my thing that I want people to understand is that there's, you just can't be silent any longer. We've got to speak up. I mean, it's so desperately important. That's why when I went to CPAC and Sandy, it was great that you were there to be with you again, but like, I can see it. I can see it maybe better than a lot of people can, that people really are waking up people I haven't ever expected to wake up are waking up and they're calling me and they're texting me and they're saying, I didn't realize how bad things were. I'm like, no, as I say in the book, it's much worse than you think it is. When you know more, you get you can get easily more discouraged because it's worse than you think. But by the same token, the American people are still so good. The vast majority of us are so good and we're so strong and we're so capable. If we just get focused and uh, and get focused on the goal, we're going to win this thing. And by the way, Sandy, when we take back our country, won't be perfect, but we can take it back to constitutional order, which we really don't have, we could, we could save free people around the globe. That's what I didn't realize before the last few years, and that's what I realize now. Everybody around the world who loves freedom, everybody around the world who has faith, they are rooting on us to succeed. They're rooting for us. They know without us they're doomed. And so we got to get this done. It's more than just about our own lives. It's more than just about our kids and our grandkids. It's about everybody's kids and grandkids. 
It's really true. I, I, the first time I ever really uh, experienced that was I went to Ottawa, Canada, again when I was president of uh, Concerned Women for America, and uh, we I was speaking at a pro-life rally uh, on, the, on the grounds of the parliament, and um, just people came up to me. Canada was quite liberal. There was Pierre Trudeau, you know, the father. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. And so, you know, they were really already going through some some of the things we're going through now. And people came up to me and talked to me about how encouraged they were by, at the time, George W. Bush, a pro-life president and someone who stood up for, you know, moral values. And they they it was the first time, Matt, that I realized how the world was looking to us. We were like their standard. And you see Beijing, you saw the the Statue of Liberty uh, with those tanks, you know, people waving the flag. That We were in China, a beacon, an example, a, a motivation for freedom. And so you, you're not overstating it. You, it's just an amazing thing. And what, what goes down here, we will bring the rest of the world down if we don't fight. I'm with you on that. Um, Think about so, those kids in Hong Kong. They're, they're singing our patriotic songs yes, yes. and flying our flag while our kids are told not to because it's racist. I mean. That is insane. We can't teach our kids to hate their own country. We won't have a country left. What the Canadian truckers? They were waving American flags. You know, of remember? They I mean, they were. Every, was, everybody knows I, that's the beacon of freedom. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing story. I was just watching. Uh, there's a History Channel has a series on Ulysses S. Grant, which I commend to everyone. Just close your eyes during the battle scenes because it's kind of violent. But oh my goodness, the greatness of this country. Sometimes we forget. So we're going to carry that baton on, and Matt is really in a position to do it, and he's doing it so well. The book is called The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Matt Schlapp, always a pleasure and a privilege, and that you can get the book anywhere. You can order it online, Barnes & Noble, wherever your favorite place to shop. And uh, so it's called The Desecrators. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. <laughs>